Super Talk Mississippi media production. You're listening to Sports Talk Mississippi On Demand, presented by Pearl River Resort. Escape to Choctaw, Mississippi and enjoy world-class gaming, the Dancing Rabbit Golf Club, and Geyser Falls Water Park. Escape to Pearl River Resort. To the junction, in the grove, and to the top. This, this is Sports Talk Mississippi. On your radio and in the game. Right here on Super Talk Mississippi. Sports Talk Mississippi with you, streaming at supertalk.fm. We have made it to Friday. Today is the 10th of July. No, we will not be jumping into our vehicles on Sunday evening and driving to Birmingham. I'm sorry, to Atlanta to uh, get ready for SEC Media Days on Monday. But unlike the Big Ten, the SEC has not said we're taking all of our plans for the upcoming football season, wadding them into a uh, ball and throwing them into the trash can. That's uh, not what you're getting from the SEC. And frankly, that's not what you're getting from the other conferences. They want to take a little more time to deliberate before they uh, make their decisions or at least make their decisions public. Good afternoon. Welcome to Sports Talk Mississippi. Ceasefire text line is open to you. 601-879-4395. Again, the number is 601-879-4395. That's the best way for you to be a part of the conversation. Ceasefire wants you to know about the no bull, the the real deal plan. Bull. There's a lot of it in wireless, but C Spire thinks you deserve a plan that's actually what it says. So here's the real deal. The best plan for one or two lines. $45 each with auto pay and paperless billing. No bull. Cspire.com. Check them out online. Fellas, what's up on a Friday? Oh, just answering the same question over and over again for the last few hours. And that question is? Will there be football this fall? <laughs> Seems to be the... Uh, I don't know. I, I don't know. Who's asking you that? Oh, just friends and a guy I ran into at the store who recognized me. Asked me if there was going to be football this fall. He watches the stream, by the way, so what's up, man? Um, people in the office, basically everyone I encounter, that's the only thing they want to talk to me about. Okay. That's kind of what's on everybody's mind, I think. Hey, Dad, what's up? Not much on a Friday. It was just an easy day so far. I haven't, I haven't talked to anybody except for Greg when I walked in the door here. That's that's out of my family. Who could care less if there's football? I haven't, did I, Greg I haven't want to know if there was going to be football? He did not. He just asked me how I was doing, and that was it. Yeah. You've been doing a lot of uh, prep work to get ready for the uh, for the butt this weekend? No. I haven't done any prep work whatsoever. Perhaps I just thought maybe that was what you had done all day. No, no. What do you do? Watch some soccer? Play some video games? I played some video games, hung out with my kids. Nice. That was it. That was nice. It. 601-879-4395, that is the number for you to be a part of the conversation. Apparently, the senator from Missouri is a fan of Clay Travis. 
apparently. So Senator Josh Hawley sent a letter to the NBA suggesting that uh, they put some messages in support of military and police officers on their jerseys. In addition to the uh, the messages for all of the other causes that are, are being addressed. By the way, that whole let's put messages on our jerseys thing is such a bad idea. But well, and the messages are, are they're corporate. That's what it is. They they are pre-approved messages that are corporate and limited. You you can't put whatever you want like it was initially billed. You can put these select phrases if you like, and that's why you haven't seen many players opt into it, at least not yet. Yeah, why don't you put your name on the back of your jersey and go with it. Anyway, so so he sent a letter, and apparently uh, Adrian Wojnarowski at the ESPN saw it and responded to the center, uh, senator from his iPhone with a two-word response. Generally speaking, the insult that is associated with the bird, the middle finger, international relations, you know, communicating. A woge bomb, if you will. A woge bomb, if you will. (laughs) To which the senator from Missouri responded, don't criticize hashtag China or express support for law enforcement to at ESPN. It makes them real mad. And then he tagged OutKick, which is Clay Travis's OutKick coverage website, Twitter feed, whatever. And Clay Travis is very, very to the right and very pro-attack ESPN. He's kind of made a living out of that. And um, it has gotten... Exactly the response that you would expect it to get. Yeah, and uh, Woj and ESPN both issued a, I mean, as good of a corporate needed PR apology as you could get. But they they acknowledged that it was really dumb and he shouldn't have done it. But and lost in all of this, all the the partisan back and forth, it is wildly hypocritical uh, on a, a couple of different fronts now. So. The NBA not criticizing China or or whatever you want to call it, that not being an option for a player to put on the back of their jersey is hypocritical. And on the other side of things, uh, the new Saints defensive back, Malcolm Jenkins, uh, the one who was extremely outspoken against Drew Brees saying that he's going to stand for the anthem and he does it because he has war veterans in his family. You know, something that he should have read the room and maybe just like given a coach speak answer, but... Um, something that is not near as bad is open anti-Semitism, and yet Malcolm Jenkins today, when asked about an NFL player, a former teammate, posting on Instagram or wherever he did anti-Semitic comments, um, a fake Hitler quote, like a misattributed quote to Hitler, and uh, among other things, very anti-Jewish community, and then doubled down on them. And then Steven Jackson did the same thing, and when he was asked about it, oh, that's not our problem. It's hypocritical. You've seen no NFL player, not really anyway, like Mitchell Schwartz for the Chiefs and like one other, have really been outspoken against a player in their league being openly anti-Semitic to the point where he's quoting Hitler, at least so he thought. But remember the reaction that Drew Brees got. Yeah. 
for something that is not near as bad as open anti-Semitism to the point where you're quoting Hitler. It's wildly hypocritical, and that's why guys like Clay Travis are so popular, because he's the only one that's willing to put his hand up and say, um, if you're going to do this, you got to do this too. And if you don't, you're a hypocrite. And so the NBA looks bad, and the NFL as a whole looks bad, because you let one thing go, and you're basically ignoring the other, which arguably is worse. Yeah, Julian Edelman kind of speak out, but not in a uh, critical way, more in a, hey, let me help you learn way. Yeah, which was, I watched his video, I, I don't know if you did, I thought it was very good. That's a good way to approach things, but it's him and like two other guys. But no, you, no you're right. I mean, not all forms of bigotry are looked at the same. They're just not. Not, not by the community writ large. The now members of the Jewish community are extremely sensitive to anti-Semitic comments, insults, statements, etc. As well, they should be, but there is not over-the-top news headline-grabbing public outrage for a comment that is clearly anti-Semitic, whether it's out of ignorance or bigotry. And, And honestly, I think Deshaun Jackson's comments earlier in the week were out of ignorance. Kind of giving him the benefit of the doubt here. But there's no benefit of the doubt given in other scenarios. You, you, you either are a terrible person or you are for the cause. There's no middle ground. There's no gray area. And ignorance is not allowed. And I don't mean ignorance in that you're dumb. I mean ignorance in that you, like, by definition, don't know, don't understand. And I think that's where Deshaun Jackson is in this. But... Not a lot of outrage over it outside of the Jewish community. Just kind of keep on rolling. Keep on trucking. Can't let that get in the way. The double standard is infuriating. But it is kind of where we are. And I don't know exactly what you do with it. You speak out about it. You call it what it is. You do your best to do what you think is right. I mean, it's funny how many times we keep coming back to this. You know, whether whether we're talking about the flag in Mississippi or anti-Semitism or racism or bigotry or xenophobia or sexism or or whatever ism it is that you're talking about, you can almost always circle back to the, if you just are a good person and you're kind to other people, None of the isms really come into play. Sports Talk Mississippi. Streaming at supertalk.fm. We'll be right back. Back with you, C Spire. Text line open at 601-879-4395. Jason has a nice thought with regard to what you listen to. 
So what do you do? You have to listen to both sides because neither one alone are going to be honest about themselves. You've got to be smart and see that the truth is somewhere in the middle of what two sides extremes are perpetually crying about. Championing, championing. Why do I have so much trouble with that word? It's a tough word. Championing, championing just one of either side is a fool's errand. Say it, hey dad. Say championing. Championing. See, it's a hard word to say. I had a it's funny an even joke. harder word to read. Something made me made me laugh in my own head. So, oh, but I'm assuming it's not a joke that you can share with the rest of us. Oh, I could share it, but I mean, you know, if you want me to, bring it on, man. It's Friday. Well, as an Ole Miss guy, what do you know about championing? So, oh, you couldn't say the word. You tried to there. <laughs> you, you tried to get it out, but you could. You kind of bumbled through the end of it, which it is my point. It happens. Oh, me. That is a good text, though. I mean, that's... No, he's right. He's right. He's right. He's 100% right. You're never going to convince anybody of anything in this world. Somebody who's got their mind made up one way or the other on any topic in the world, they're never going to change their mind. doesn't matter how much evidence you you put in front of them. People just don't change their minds in this world. Yeah. That's a relatively new thing. I mean, like a generational new thing. It feels like it, yeah. Yeah. Um... When did that change in politics? When did we stop being willing to compromise in politics? I read something interesting recently that said television. I don't know if that's true, though. I mean, I think there was compromise in the 60s and 70s. I think. I oh, there was compromise in the 80s. And, like, I, I think that there was compromise through the Clinton administration. Yeah. And maybe well, even there's through There was a lot of compromise first... in the Clinton administration, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> right. Careful with words. I, Play word games. Yeah. I, I did. Um, yeah, no, I, I understand. But, yeah, I mean, the rise of in popularity of cable news. Social media. Hmm. People can just say whatever they want to say, and there's no repercussions for it, and Things along those lines. Things that people are taught as well. I mean, I had... In college, is a little bit different because you're supposed to be challenged, but I had professors in college that were... Their main goal was to push their political opinion on you. And in one case, it was a conservative. So it, it didn't bother me much because I kind of liked him. But you had professors. I had multiple. That their main goal in the class was to get you to think like them. And maybe that's always been the case. That was just my experience. And I'm yeah, a little less a bit... malleable. I'm headstrong. But you have kids that, that go to college that are just kind of open books, and then you, you have this professor that says something they like and they don't really think for themselves, and they start believing what this professor says, and boom, you and have that. One of our texters, Thomas and Greenwood, makes a good point. says you don't have to compromise when you choose a news outlet that reaffirms your beliefs. We talk about that a lot. People live in an echo chamber. You know, they only yeah. follow the people on Twitter that say the things they want to hear, and then they watch whatever news network that leans towards their way, and so they never hear the other side of it except from a negative standpoint. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's... I mean, just boiling it, we can, we can label it however we want. The, the rightest of the right goes to, I guess, OAN. Mm-hmm. And then the the folks that are right leaning all the way to kind of right middle go primarily to Fox News. Mm-hmm. 
There was a time where people in the middle would go to CNN. I, I really think if you're in the middle and you're looking for news, you probably focus more on market stuff. So maybe market stuff and you go to CNBC. Yeah. And interestingly enough, CNBC has just hired Shepard Smith to host a nightly newscast because basically their relevance has traditionally gone away after the show, right after the closing bell. And then they, they've got Kramer on there with Mad Money you know, to kind of wrap up the day. And then it's just like, who knows what's on CNBC from 7 o'clock at night until 8 o'clock in the next morning because nobody watches that. And then you start working your way left. Obviously, MSNBC uh, is there on the left side of things. And then at the far left, as our listeners have told us, Sports Talk Mississippi. <laughs> oh. oh. And, and you do yeah. have a blurred line between... What's to the left of MSNBC? Al Jazeera? Man, I, where, where do they I fall? I have no idea. I don't know no anything idea. about Al Jazeera, to be honest with you. But Yeah, yeah. I don't, don't even know what they are. The line has been blurred between um, news and commentary as well. I mean, it's like, true, like you just mentioned, you flip through and it's... It's opinion shows, but they're on from basically when people get off work to when they go to bed. And so it's, they admit, like Tucker Carlson, for example, who just had the greatest or the highest ratings record like ever for that kind of show. Um, mm-hmm. He's an opinion guy. That's what he is. But if that's all you, you consume during the day because you wake up, you take the kids to school, you go to work, you get home, you make dinner, you get the kids to bed, and that's all you consume, you're only consuming opinion. They label it as such, you know going into it, but when that's all you consume, and I'm not saying he's right or wrong or good or bad, um, but that's the slant you get when delivered things. And it's on every network because that line has been blurred. There's an argument to be made that CNN has actually positioned itself to the left of MSNBC. You're not wrong there. I mean, I, I, I don't think it's that way all the time. And on all of the shows, but certainly on some of the shows, um, it's just, it's fascinating because CNN was, you know, CNN really grew into itself in the early 90s surrounding the first Gulf War. And their reporting from Iraq, I don't know if you've ever been to CNN Center in Atlanta. You, you see some of the memorabilia, uh, you know, some of the the Humvees and some of the, the equipment that they use to, you know, report from Iraq. That was really that was breaking, breaking barriers at the time to be able to do what they did. But they morphed away from just being news and they got into the opinion business as well. And you know, anyway. Yeah. And most importantly, controversy sells. And if it's not there, you have to manufacture it. You're yes, right. Yes, indeed. Controversy That's... creates cash, as the great Eric Bischoff once said. Brent says, I damn you, you COVID. Sports news is now talking politics. Well, we're not even actually talking politics. We're just talking coverage of news and politics, period. Well, this directly relates to sports media in some way yeah, as well. Yeah, it does. But but here, here okay, so here's how we, we went down this, this road. Clay if Travis. You, yeah, if, if you just... If you just jumped in and you're like, what the heck are they talking about? Or why are they talking about? We were talking about you got a Republican senator that sent a letter to the NBA and Adam Silver said it's like, hey, why don't we have some Jersey messaging that includes support for military, support for police officers, and support for the protesters in Hong Kong. 
And then Adrian Wojnarowski at ESPN replied in email form to Senator Hawley from Missouri with an F-bomb followed by you. He dropped a Woj bomb on him. The senator made that email public and said, don't you dare say anything bad about, you know, whatever, to ESPN. ESPN has apologized. Senator Hawley has come and said that he has heard from ESPN and Disney's lobbyists and has extended an invitation to ESPN President Jimmy Pitaro to come to Washington, D.C. and sit down and have a conversation with him. The question I asked that sent us down the road of how different areas cover it was, when did we get, when in our country's history did we transition to an unwillingness to compromise? It was still there during the Clinton administration. I mean, good grief, it was 1994 when you had the Republican landslide in the the midterm elections, and Newt Gingrich led the contract with America did. So you had a Democrat president and a Republican House and Senate, and they got a ton done. And the two sides didn't agree with each other, but there was a ton that got accomplished in a short period of time, that first 100 days contract and all those things. And then you go to Bush 43, I think things began to change with the whole invasion of Iraq and the rise of news networks. But somebody pointed out a second ago that said the divisiveness really came into place when you had the Tea Party movement on the right and the Socialist Democrat movement on the left, and their strongest tenets became no compromise. We're digging in, and we're not giving an inch on either side. And that got away from a spirit of cooperation that actually allowed you to get things done. Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. Back with you on Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, and Brian Haydad had no intention of going down the road that we've uh, we've gone down today. I, I will share one conversation with you that I had yesterday with someone, uh, and then we'll move on. As... Um, Cody and Tupelo said just a second ago, ah, it wasn't Cody, it was, uh, oh, I don't know. Somebody basically said to me, it's like, hey, come on, man, give me give me some sports on the sports talk show. Just kind of where we are in terms of news. I, I don't think this is a divisive opinion at all. Maybe it is, but to some. I don't want any belief or any social messaging shoved down my throat at a sporting event. I just don't. I want to watch a game for for the sake of watching a game. I want to cover a game for the sake of covering a game. You, as a professional athlete, are welcome to do whatever you want to do on your own time. Well, Richard, no, we should have the right to use our platform. Yeah, you got a platform. Use it any time. But think about it this way. This conversation that I was having with a uh, longtime friend who is a business owner in Oxford last night, and he is a Memphis Grizzlies fan, longtime season ticket holder even for the Grizzlies, drives back and forth from Oxford for probably half of their home games, maybe three-quarters of their home games. He's, he's that big of a fan. 
And we were just kind of talking generally about the NBA and some of the stances, and he believes that among the season ticket base with the Grizzlies, some of this stuff is going to hurt their fan base. Now, a lot of the fan base is incredibly supportive and won't hurt at all, but you have people who are turned off by the political and social messaging when they're spending their hard-earned money, and a lot of money, frankly, to go watch these events from an, purely from an entertainment standpoint. And I said, that's actually a really interesting point. And, and people would argue, oh, they've got the right to do that. And yeah, I mean, I guess technically they've got the right to do that, and you've got the right to spend your money however you want to. But think about it like this. I don't really care what the beliefs are of the people with whom I do business with as long as they're providing the service that, that I need. It's okay if we don't have the same opinion. And that, that goes for the doctor that I go to or doctors that I go to. goes for where I buy food. It goes for whatever pharmacy that I go to. You know, what, what, whoever you do business with, you don't expect to be beaten over the head with their political or social beliefs when you walk in the door. And yet, as a sports fan who is a consumer, right? I mean, those places I'm talking about, you have to, to spend money when you get a prescription filled, you have to spend money when you buy a gallon of milk. You have to spend money when you fill your car up with gas. You have to spend money when you, you know, go out to dinner. And if those people want you to continue spending money with them, they're probably not going to beat you over head, the head with their beliefs. I mean, it's very much the Michael Jordan Republicans buy sneakers too argument. So why is it that when we spend our money to go watch a professional sporting event, we get the beliefs that we may line up with or we may be diametrically opposed to shoved down our throats and it's okay, you just need to shut up and cheer. Why is that okay in sports when it's completely unacceptable everywhere else we go? Why is that? I think we're going to learn, uh, they are going to learn that it's not okay. I kind of have a theory on on the NBA's, um, the reason why they're letting the players put these messages on their jerseys, even though it's it's corporatized and they have to pick from a select group of phrases, uh, that's the only way they were going to play. That's the only way they were going to get the players to agree to play if they could share their message. And at the end of the day, the league's like, look, this this may hurt us a little bit, but we've got to put a product on the floor, so let's let them do it. If you remember, the league has had a ban, league-wide ban, on kneeing for the anthem. While the NFL was dealing with their stuff, you never saw it in the NBA because they were not allowed to because they knew what the residual effect was going to be. I think they're going to learn, just like ESPN did. If you remember, ESPN had a ratings free fall because they had... Their 6 o'clock sports center was left-leaning social commentary. And it failed miserably. And they decided 
even though lately they've kind of gone back on that, they decided we can't do this anymore. We have to do sports again. And then the ratings went up and everything got better. The same thing's going to happen in the NBA. The same thing's going to happen in the NFL this year. Numbers might go down. If you have league-wide anthem protests and all that stuff, just like in 2016, television ratings numbers will go down. In the NBA, the numbers will not be good if you are letting this go on. They will learn that when politics, especially divisive politics, is injected into our sport, people aren't going to consume it as much, affecting our bottom line, and we will stop it. Just like ESPN did, they just don't, maybe they don't realize it yet, or they're just allowing it to happen for other reasons, but they will learn that when somebody tells them, I'm not consuming NBA anymore because they're going to have Black Lives Matter on the court or whatever the commentary is, that's a real person, which is not alone in that thinking, and that equates to dollars. And if the bottom line's affected, they'll end it. That's what will happen. They'll go down the political road, numbers will go down, revenue will go down, and then they'll end it. We'll see. We'll see what the effect is. There's still deniers that the NBA or the NFL ratings decline two, three years ago was a result of national anthem protests. It's just uh, th- those are people. Wait and that- see. No, 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 no. Just, just wait and see. We'll, we'll see if there's a corresponding decline this year if the protests happen again. They have an out this year. They'll blame it on coronavirus or something. But uh, those are people that no, say a, that, that. No, no, that doesn't work, Morky. That oh, doesn't you're right. Work. More people should be watching because of. Yep. The fact, by the way, let's let's transition to a sports story. Here you go. Adam Schefter. Jaguars announced that in compliance with state and local authorities and following CDC social distancing guidelines, TIAA Bank Field will seat approximately 25% of its capacity at each home game this season. That's fascinating to me on a couple of fronts. Number one, they're saying that's what it's going to be for the whole year. I mean, I guess they could circle back if they wanted to grow the capacity somewhere along the line. It would be easier to do that than to shrink it. But one, it also underscores the fact that the plan continues to be to have fans in the stands for NFL football. That's about an 80,000-seat stadium. They're talking about 20,000 Jags fans. By the way, the immediate responses to that tweet were don't 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 use the joke. Everybody knows the joke. Don't don't tell that joke. <laughs> oh, shouldn't be an issue for attendance anyway in Jacksonville. Well, they actually have to have an increase in attendance to get to twenty five percent. Will that require more fans than usual? It's gonna be tough when like the Steelers or the Cowboys play there this year. If I don't know if the Cowboys play there or not, but one of those teams. Yeah. Yeah. No, you're right so, though. That's that's a good point. It's there's no excuse. And the the people that say that they had no correlation have no idea the way middle America thinks. Just don't have a clue. They they live in their little loft apartment in New York City and think everybody in New York thinks the way they do. So there's no possible way that the anthem protest bothered people enough to where they stopped watching. Try it again. Uh, let's see here. Ceasefire text line 601 879 4395. 
Mike in Oxford says Senator Kelly Loeffler is being pressured to give up her stake in the WNBA team in Atlanta for suggesting similar ideas to that of Senator Hawley. Yeah. Yeah, the Players Association even released some kind of a statement like, we don't need you, or something of that effect. And she's like, I'm not selling. I own it, and you can't make me sell it. It's, um, I mean, it's not like a Donald Sterling situation. I mean, I mean, she just she said a differing opinion, and now yeah. is... Hmm. Wayne in Biloxi says, if I gave my political opinion to every paying customer in my job, I would be fired on the spot, no questions asked. Uh, Stan and Ripley, we'll get to that when we come back. Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. We'll be right back. All right, Sports Talk Mississippi. We have a uh, a moral dilemma to debate. Love that. Yep. Going to need your help on the C Spire text line, 601-879-4395. Let's uh, let's set this situation up, and then you tell me what is the right or wrong course of action. A mother and her three children are leaving a popular local breakfast spot. We'll call it, oh, maybe Bottle Tree Bakery. And they are walking toward the square in this fictitious town and along the way they pass an ATM machine that's redundant but go ahead that is what's redundant ATM machine it's like hot water heater sorry thank you they pass an ATM outside of a bar this is not open because remember they were leaving a breakfast spot one of the children who is incredibly perceptive notices that in the tray that dispenses, or, you know, out, outside where the money is dispensed from the ATM, there's cash in there. And he looks and he sees that it's two $20 bills, logically left from the night before by someone who was inebriated to the point that after punching in their pen, they walked away and forgot to get their money. And the little guy who spots this thinks that he's kind of hit the jackpot. There's nobody around. There's obviously no way to claim cash, especially from the night before. And he goes, Mom, can I get it? And she thinks for a second and she says, No, that's not yours. That would be dishonest. And he's a little bummed out. And they walk on. So the question is, was that the appropriate course of action Should the little boy who found the money have been able to grab it and put it in his pocket and be like, boom, my lucky day? Or should he have left it right where it was so that the next person that walks along can grab it and say, boom, my lucky day? How much do you need 40 bucks? Well, he's a little kid, man. 40 (laughs) bucks is like a million dollars. Um, I mean, no, yeah. the right thing was done. Absolutely the right thing was done. In different financial circumstances, maybe you pocket it because the drunken idiot shouldn't have taken out more money than he was able to grab in his incoherence, but you taught the hypothetical individual 
taught a very good lesson to a young child that learned something about doing the right thing today. It was the right move. Yeah. Yeah. It would be, look, a few weeks ago, I was at Kroger. I was standing in line at the pharmacy. I looked down. There was three $20 bills just sitting there on the floor. And I looked down. I was like, wow, what's, what's this? And so I looked. There was a woman in front of me. I was like, hey, man, did you drop some money? No. I just gave it to the lady at the desk because this is a grocery store, right? There's cameras everywhere. They'll figure sure. out who left it. You know, that's different. This, this person's never coming back for that money. It's no different than if you just found it laying on the street. I would have taken the cash as the little kid. So the little kid was my son. I, I figured that. No. And, the, and the, the mother in the story was my wife. No way. And we were, t- we were talking about this at dinner last night. I told John, I was like, you owe me 40 bucks. Yeah. <laughs> he found that. The, per- <laughs> the person who, whose money that is is never going to get it. So right. it's just the next stranger that's going to get it. You might as well just be that guy. Uh, Given Greenwood says, little man should have gotten to keep the money and learn the yes. lesson to never get too drunk to forget your cash. That's the bigger finders keepers is the biggest lesson here. Bert says college kids are idiots. Take the money. Yep. Bert Darren Bert. and Jackson says I would have kept it. No way to find out whose it is. He also says what if it had fallen onto the ground? My my wife says if it had been on the sidewalk, completely fair game. No, come on. It's, the diff- it's, no, it's no difference. Okay, here's one that says ATMs have cameras. I understand ATMs have cameras or their security cameras in and around. But they're not going to take camera footage when somebody finds that they're $40 still in the ATM and go, hmm, somebody forgot to get that. Let's pull up the video footage. Yeah, we don't have any way of IDing that person. Let's Especially use- if it, the person who gets the money is probably just going to like walk away. They're not going to look at it and go, hey, I'm short or anything like that. You're not going to be able to tell who it was. Disappointed in both of you. Ah. We get a text here, and this is the right thing. Just because the next guy might not do the right thing doesn't mean you shouldn't. But the right uh, thing is never going to happen. The person is never going to get that money back. I, Return it to the is, bank, then. Oh, no, I, I'm, I'm big, to charity. big, big. I'm big on doing the right thing and, and teaching my kids to do the right thing. I just don't think taking the money in this situation was the wrong thing. I David agree. says... Obi should have had to buy lunch. King Biscuit says should have let him return it to the bank. Well, I mean, to what bank though? It's an ATM outside a bar. Yeah, it's one of those. It's a bar ATM. It's not a bank ATM, right? Uh, Johnny and Tupelo says give it to charity. Little man should have gotten to keep the money and learn the lesson to never get too drunk to forget your cash. Did I read that one already? Sports Talk Mississippi. Responses were all over the board with regard to how the cash found in the ATM outside of a bar the next morning should have been handled. And ultimately, whether or not my son should have been able to keep the $40 like he wanted to, or like his mom said, no, just leave it, it's not yours. We'll get to more of your responses coming up in just a bit. Sports Talk Mississippi. Streaming at supertalk.fm. Right now it's time for us to go to the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team at Mississippi Farm Bureau. John Cox, how is that for a lead-in to an interview? That may have been the best I've ever heard. (laughs) 
we were we were debating the morality of whether or not my uh, my seven year old son who found some cash sitting in the dispenser of an ATM machine as he was walking along yesterday um, should have been able to keep it, or my wife said, "No, that's not yours. You need to leave it right where it is." Well. I learned a long time ago, never against go against the mamas, so I'm going to go on your wife's side on this one tonight. Yeah, you're probably right. That's probably the wise way to uh, wise way to approach this. Certainly we are uh, in uncharted waters right now. You would be in a little bit of downtime in the summer, uh, but you would have just gotten there recently as opposed to having four and a half months with not a whole lot going on. What have you been up to, John? Well, it's been kind of strange. You know, it, it, I was on a baseball Trip. I think the Tuesday before all this started, we had played Troy over in Montgomery, Alabama, won the game. Everybody was in a pretty good mood riding the bus back uh, from Montgomery, Alabama. And I think it was the next morning uh, they came in. They said, well, we're going to play baseball this Friday, but uh, we may not let very many people in. About an hour later, it was, we're going to play baseball this weekend, but nobody's going to be let in. And then about an hour later, it was, we're not playing baseball this weekend and we're not playing anymore. So it was kind of surprising. I'm not sure, uh, you know, you saw that coming and, uh, but you know, the first couple of, I've been, I worked at home for a long time. I've been back in the office some here the last few weeks, which feels better because you kind of get back into the routine a little bit, but, uh, I've worked on a few things. I've been working uh, in my spare time on a book on the history of Southern Miss basketball. So I worked on that some. Uh, I did some research. I did some uh, uh, preparation for what I hope will be a football season and uh, <laughs> stayed, stayed, stayed busy. So, uh, but uh, I have to admit, for a while I felt a little bit like uh, Tom Hanks uh, in Castaway. Just kind of felt like out there, you know, by myself. But uh, made it through it and uh, it, it's helped to get back in the office just a little bit. You recognize the voice. It's John Cox, the longtime play-by-play voice, the University of Southern Mississippi, football, basketball, and uh, baseball. I'll, I'll get the big question out of the way uh, because I'm curious how you answer it. Uh, we, we've talked uh, over the last couple of days. Uh, Neil Price was on with us on, on Wednesday. Uh, David Kellum joined us yesterday, and we're happy to be visiting with you. And I asked the same question to both of them, and I said, I'm getting it as well. What do you think about football? That, that's what everybody's asking. You know, you bump into snow. What's football going to be? So, what's your opinion on that? Well, you know, I, I I like to consider myself to be a positive person, and so I try to stay positive about things. But uh, I have to admit, there's some mornings I wake up, uh, I, I think no, and other mornings I wake up, I say, I, I say yes. I think there's a lot of obviously some working parts that have to. Uh, you know, kind of fall into place, but uh, uh, I, I just don't know. I, I, you know, I, I, I've tried to, I've tried to stay as positive as I can. Uh, it, it looks every day like it's going to be a little more difficult to do, and how it's going to play out, and all those kinds of things. Uh, I hope there is. It's you know, obviously, it's a big part of what we all do, and uh, you know, I've, I've talked to a lot of my counterparts around the country, and then in Conference USA and other other conferences, and uh, I'm not sure anybody knows, you know. So uh, it's uh, it's difficult for everybody, and uh, it's difficult particularly for those of us who are involved in, in, in broadcasting. And I, I read an interesting article. I don't know. I was reading an article the other day about uh, some of my counterparts in this business that, uh, you know, that, that maybe don't work for the university like I do. I'm lucky enough to work for 
for the University of Southern Mississippi, but you know some of the freelance guys that do games and uh, like you uh, in the spring and uh, into the summer and things like that. You know how all of a sudden those opportunities were gone. So it's a scary time in a lot of different ways for people. I'm, I'm hopeful that uh, perhaps we'll get to play football. To be honest with you, I just don't know right now. Yeah, John Cox on your radio. Um, something that we've talked about with with Jeremy McLean. And I think had a conversation with Patrick McGee about it a while back was the idea of some sort of sort of a joint venture between Conference USA and the Sun Belt. Just because of the geographical tie, it doesn't sound like John. That's something that's imminent. But I wonder if that could be any more likely on even a one-off basis. If th- this whole thing is crazy, j- just because of geography this year. Yeah, I, you know, I, I kind of feel, and I, not just Conference USA. I think, I think all around the country, that uh, perhaps you'll you'll have people looking at, uh, you know, maybe convincing the leagues that uh, would make it more travel friendly, would make it more, uh, you know, regionally oriented and things like that. Uh, uh, but I, you know, I don't know, Richard, who, who if anybody really knows how all that's going to happen. Uh, you know, a lot of that makes sense, and a lot of that has been discussed uh, from time to time with uh, various conferences around the country. But uh, I don't know that anybody really knows yet. I don't know anybody knows what the outcome of all this is going to be and how it's going to work out for all of us and, uh, you know, what the what the landscape will look like uh, once this year is over. But uh, it certainly makes some sense to, to make things, not whether even if it's, uh, it's Conference USA or uh, some other conference that uh, you make you make it a little more travel friendly, uh, allow schools maybe to save a little bit of money, uh, not to be on the road as much, uh, be back yeah. in the classroom more. So there, there's uh, there's a lot of good reasons, uh, and uh, I think that that's something that's going to be looked at by a lot of people. You know, we had the news yesterday uh, about the Big Ten, and and apparently it really caught a lot of other conference commissioners off guard. Not that the Big Ten said they wanted to go down that road. But because they made that announcement at, at this point, that they were going to only play uh, a, a schedule that consisted of conference games, that the, the four non-conference games or three non-conference games for all those teams would go away, that really affected the MAC. If the SEC or the Big 12 or the ACC were to do that, we could see it having a pretty big effect on, on Conference USA. I mean, Southern Miss goes to Auburn this year. Right? You've got other yeah. games that are like that. What would the effect be if if the SEC came down with that, or, or we saw the Big Twelve do that as well? Well, I think it would. Uh, I think it would obviously hurt uh, some of those teams that rely on those, uh, you know, those guaranteed games every year. And you're right in Conference USA. Uh, you know, you look out, uh, and Conference USA, of course, stretches from El Paso, Texas, to Charlotte, to uh, Norfolk, Virginia, to Miami, and uh, and so. You know, uh, those those schools would all be affected. Uh, you know, by something like that. Uh, you know, I mean, Southern Miss always has a couple of those games every year. You mentioned Auburn, and uh, we played the Alabamas and the Georgias and people like that. So, obviously, that would have a, a tremendous effect, I would think, on people, and uh, and not just Conference USA. Like I said, I think you look at other conferences, the Sun, the Sun Belt, or the Missouri Valley, and different people like that. Uh, who were affected by it? Uh, it would it would have an effect. So uh, I'm not sure I even want to think about that right now. 
No, I'm kind of with you. Um, I, I wish we had games to uh, to distract us from that. You're, you're a, I know John, a a big Major League Baseball fan, and if I remember correctly, it's the Cincinnati Reds that are, are your team. Are, are are you going to, assuming it happens, engage with Major League Baseball for a 60 game season, or are you a purist where you go? No, I I can't can't really recognize anything they're doing with this short of a season. Well, first of all, let me tell you, I grew up, my dad, my dad, who is no longer living, but my dad uh, taught me to be a St. Louis Cardinal fan. He loved the St. Louis Cardinals, and I grew Why up. Why did I say Reds? Well, I grew up right outside of Cincinnati, so I spent a lot of time at Old Crosley Field and at Riverfront Stadium watching, watching the Reds. But my dad was a big Cardinal fan. In fact, I tell people all the time, one of the reasons I do what I do today is my dad and I would sit on the back porch of my house in Middletown, Ohio, and listen on a white Zenith transistor radio to KMOX radio and listen mm-hmm. to Harry Carey and Jack Buck do the Cardinal game. So, uh, uh, so, but, uh, love baseball. And, uh, you know, I, I, I honestly, I think I'm, I'm pretty interested in what's getting ready to happen. Uh, one to see if they could pull it off and make it work the way, uh, that it's supposed to work. But uh, I think it'll be neat. I think, uh, you know, I'm kind of a traditionalist when it comes to baseball. I like the 162-game schedule. I like all those kinds of things. But I think this 60-game, uh, you know, race to the to the World Series or, and the playoffs and things like that is going to be kind of interesting. But uh, right now, we're all dying for sports. So, uh, you know, I, my buddy Jack Duggan, who works with me, Jack, I think, wakes up every morning and, Watch a little of the Korean baseball league. So, you know, <laughs> of course, he does. Yeah, no. So people, people love baseball, and uh, so uh, I'll, I think I'll think I'll be tuned in here in a few weeks when all that gets started. Going to take a quick time out. We'll continue our conversation. We'll get into process and preparation with uh, John Cox, play-by-play voice of the Southern Miss Golden Eagles. When we continue, this is Sports Talk Mississippi. Sports Talk Mississippi, your new home for exclusive sports coverage here in the Magnolia State. Let me put it to you this way. Right here on Super Talk Mississippi. It's been fun over the last three days. We talked with Neil Price, the football and basketball play-by-play broadcaster at Mississippi State. Yesterday, David Kellum joined us. He broadcasts football, basketball, and baseball at Ole Miss. And today, John Cox is kind enough to spend a few minutes with us on the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team, Mississippi Farm Bureau. He is the voice of the Golden Eagles. And, John, I asked both Neil and David about this and kind of curious your response as well. Just General preparation, uh, and you can make it sports specific if you would like, but maybe kind of starting at least with the idea of football. Going into a, a week where you know you've got a game on Saturday after you've just finished a game the, the previous Saturday, what's your preparation process like? Usually what I'll do is on Sunday, honestly, I sit down and sort of listen to the broadcast the night before over the course of that uh, Sunday and kind of take notes about things that I uh, I like that we did, uh, things that I didn't like that we did, where we could have probably done better and things like that. Uh, and I start that night then uh, preparing for the game the next week. I'll... Uh, as best I can, maybe start working on my spotting charts, easily try to, you know, familiarize myself with who that opponent is coming up. Uh, 
Then on Monday, I'll, I really try to finish up my spotting boards as best that I can. I, I use probably a, you know, a lot of guys now do them on the computer and things like that. I'm kind of an old fashioned guy. I like to hand write them all out, uh, with, with, uh, markers and things like that because I seem, I, I remember it a little bit better when I've taken time to write it down instead of maybe type it, uh, into the computer. Uh, but, but then, you know, during the week, I, I'll meet with uh, each of the coordinators, uh, you know, I'll do interviews with the players and uh, interview some of those guys and talk to some of those guys to kind of familiarize myself about what's, uh, you know, what's going on uh, with that week's opponent, what's going on with our team that particular week. I, I try as best I can to uh, commit to memory uh, the names and the numbers of uh, probably the top, you know, 40 to 45 guys on the other team, something like that, just so I can have it right there at my uh, fingertips when I need to call out, you know, that person's uh, name. But really it's just, uh, I'm sure David and David and guys are the same way, is, is, and you're probably the same way uh, in, in the sports that you do as well, is, is I just try to, uh, you know your team fairly well, you spend a lot of time at practice, you kind of learn what the, the team, the school you're working for is going to do, but at the same time uh, you've got a bunch of new guys and a bunch of new things for the other team, so you, you spend a great deal of time trying to figure out uh, who they are and what they do and how they're going to do it so you can, uh, you know, give that information to your listeners when the game starts. So really it's a week-long process. Uh, even on Saturday morning, a lot of times you wake up, or at least I do, and kind of, you know, go over uh, names and numbers and things like that of the opponent uh, for the game that day. So uh, a lot of fun. Never look at it as work. It's uh, a lot of fun. It's what I always wanted to do. And uh, so uh, it's fun to do it. Can't wait for each week to start getting ready for the next one. I was really fascinated to hear you say that you go back and you listen to the previous game's broadcast on Sunday. So have you always done that? I I mean, with with as long as you've been broadcasting games, you you still find it useful to go back and and listen and self-critique and maybe even critique the, the guys that you're working with? Oh yeah, I've always always done that, and you know it's it's uh, even to the point where you know if we're on the road on the road, say it's a, even basketball, it's a basketball trip. You know we'll play the game the night before. I go out and get my run in or my exercise in the next morning, and I'll have the headphones in, listen to the game from the night before, or maybe even uh, that some that night before when I get back from the arena. So uh, hmm. yeah, I've always done that. I'm not sure why I, I like to go back and uh, listen to it and. You know, find out what maybe we could, as our crew, we could do it, how we could do it a little bit better, make it more interesting, maybe make it more informative for the listener and how I can do that uh, personally or how, how maybe my description of a play is not quite like I want it to be. So I enjoy doing that and uh, I try to do that after every ball game the day after. You know, it, it, it's interesting. You mentioned spotting boards and, and that's one of those things that it, it's kind of a personal thing and people have always been fascinated. Like if I've done a, a speaking engagement or somebody that doesn't do broadcasting for a living, they'll see that, and they'll be like, what's that? And you kind of want to look and see what's on there. And I've just always described it as the world's biggest cheat sheet. But That's right. I, I've been like, I, I don't know if other people do this or not, and, and maybe the answer is no, because I know David Kellum, for example, has used the exact same baseball scorecard for certainly as long as I know him, and I've seen that they go back another 20 years. Jim Ellis has always used the exact same baseball score sheet. I've seen exactly what he uses, but I feel like I'm constantly on the search for the perfect one, or I'll make a little tweak year to year, 
do you stay the same? Like, you know what works for you, you know where everything is, and you don't make any changes to it? Uh, well, I won't go that far. I'm kind of, I, I, I use the same, I use the same thing for basketball and baseball that I pretty much have used my entire career. But I, I will look at somebody else's sometime and, and see, you know, hey, that's kind of neat. I might want to add that. So, so I might, uh, I might adjust it a little bit, but for the most part, I use the same thing. I, I like, you know, maybe that's the old school in me, but like basketball, I keep a I keep a scorecard in basketball where I keep stuff on there. Even though we've got all the fancy monitors and and things yeah. like that, it just helps me uh, if I write down that uh, David Kellum just scored that basket. Now I remember David's got eight points on the night. And if he scores another one a few minutes later. I can immediately know that's 10 points that David's got instead of having to go look again on the screen or something like that. So, uh, uh, yeah, I'm kind of an old-school guy when it comes to, to spotting charts and uh, scorecards and, and things like that, and uh, I don't really get too uh, fired up about uh, all the fancy stuff. That's really interesting to me. I, I feel like, generally speaking, radio play-by-play announcers still keep a running score in basketball, maybe with the total score – and also with individual player points, occasionally you'll have somebody, I don't see how people actually keep up with rebounds, that, that try to do that as well. But I don't see much of that on the television side of things. And and maybe it's because graphically there's so much more there and it's going to pop up on the screen anyway. Um, that, that that's, that's fascinating, though, that there's a difference there on the radio side and the television side. Yeah, well, I like to be able to, like I said, you know, if, if, you're, if you... Uh... Or even if you do, to me, if you use the screen, if you look up, you might see. And, and I do. I don't keep rebounds like in basketball, but but uh, you know you can glance over there time to time. I like to be able to know that if uh, you get a rebound, that's your ninth of the game or something. I think that's information that people you know want to hear and want to know. And so uh, I've always found the more the more you're able to kind of commit to writing it down, that uh, it sticks with you and it's easier to call on it when you need it uh, in a minute or two during the ball game. All right, you said this is what you've always wanted to do. Always is a long time. So so if if you're able to point out the moment in time where you said I want to sit behind a microphone and describe game action to the masses. Th- does it go back to those back porch listening sessions with your dad? Oh, no, there's a question. And I Richard, I grew up I grew up in Middletown, Ohio, so listen to this uh, array of guys that I was lucky enough to listen to. It started with a guy in my hometown named Warren Johnson who did not only my high school but other high schools in the city, but Miami of Ohio. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I grew up uh, listening to, uh, to to Marty Brenneman, Al Michaels, Joe Nuxall doing the Cincinnati Reds. I was close enough to... Alexa to Kentucky, where my dad was a Kentucky grad and loved Kentucky. So listen to Kaywood Ledford, listen to Van Vance do the Louisville Cardinal games and the University of Louisville games. And, uh, I mean, all in all, University of Dayton was close by. So that's all I ever knew. It was, it was an area where some of the, to me, some of the best sportscasters, some of the play by play guys, uh, around were right there. And you could just turn the dial and hear them night after night. So, I would say uh, going uh, when I was at about kindergarten or so, I knew that's what I wanted to do. And I would go to the backyard and throw a ball off the wall in the backyard and broadcast games that way. So uh, 
It's what I always wanted to do. Never wanted to do anything else. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's been with me forever. And I, I'm sure a lot of people have those same types of stories. But uh, I would have been happy to have just been the voice of the Middletown Middies. That, that would have been, I thought that would be the greatest <laughs> job that a man could have, to be the voice of the Middletown Middies. And uh, uh, so, yeah. yeah. So, so John, I, I don't know. I don't know your family history, but did, did your dad, is he still with us, or has he passed away? Was he able to hear you achieve your dream? Yeah, well, yeah, he's passed away. He, he and my mom are both passed away. But, yeah, he uh, he was able to listen to me uh, uh, several years there before he, uh, he passed away. But uh, it was neat, though, back in the old Metro Conference days, you know, we would go. I grew up outside of Cincinnati, so we'd go play it. Cincinnati a couple of times during the course of the year and uh, it was kind of neat that uh, early in my career he was able to come up there and sit in the booth for a football game or mm, sit courtside really cool. with you and uh, that was uh, that was uh, that was nerve-wracking but uh, <laughs> it was also kind of neat to know uh, he and my mom you know would would do whatever they could I, I could have wanted to be a brain surgeon and they were going to make sure that I had everything I needed to, uh, to know about being a brain surgeon. It was the same way with being a play-by-play announcer. They knew that uh, I wanted to do that, and so everything uh, that they would, uh, my dad might come home from work and have a book about uh, Red Barber or something to give me so I could read it. So uh, they were they were involved in it, and uh, they had a lot to do with it, and I think about them all the time when I'm doing a ball game. I appreciate you sharing that story with us and uh, giving it a little personal feel. John, always good to visit with you. Hopefully we've got ball soon. Thank you, my friend. Richard, I appreciate it, man. Stay safe, and we'll talk to you soon. Scott's listened to us for a uh, a long time in the Jackson metro area. He sent us a, a picture on the C Spire text line, 601 601- Eight seven nine four three nine five. You want to be part of the show? That's the best way to do it. Be honest. You know your business deserves better, so get better with a Seaspire business internet and phone bundle backed by real support. See how Seaspire can power your success today at seaspire.com slash business. Scott's dad is the uh, radio play-by-play voice of the Atlanta Hawks. And uh, he sent us a message of the scorecard, said uh, made it himself. He's used it for 35 Plus years gets it printed on cardstock and uh, goes to town. So let's see. I was trying to see. So he's with the Hawks. This one is who are they playing? Borky. That looks Miles, like the Charlotte Hornets. If if say Miles Bridges. Yeah, it's the Hornets. But yeah, yeah. Devonte Graham. Look on that. Yeah. What gave it away for me? Terry, I didn't even look at the Frazier roster. Is there? Yes. That that that's that's uh that's the Hornets. But sure. above the cardstock, there's a logo. Oh yeah. Oh there. there <laughs> yeah, so they're in Charlotte. So yeah. Anyway, that's uh that's really cool. You can also see his coffee order on here. Venti mocha it looks like with uh, triple espresso. Wow. He needed to wake go, up. <laughs> a little go juice before the start of a, a little uh, shot of that game. juice. Yeah, that's uh, that's really cool. Uh, you want to be a part of the conversation again? 601-879-4395. If um, you're just joining us, don't forget you missed anything. You can always get the show on demand or as a podcast. And you can get it wherever you get your podcasts. Apple 
Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, and whatnot, the Sports Talk Mississippi podcast. Don't forget you can also get Thunder and Lightning and the Eagle Hour and the Rebel Report all kind of in the same stream right there. What's going on with Thunder and Lightning these days? You still doing your team previews? Yeah, we did uh, We did Missouri this week for the opponent preview and Auburn this week just for a general SEC preview. There you go. Hate to be there the bearer of bad news, but if you've done an out-of-conference opponent preview yet, that podcast can get deleted. <laughs> we haven't gotten there because we go back to front. So Good. I don't, <laughs> yeah, I'm going to hold out on those. So I skipped Alabama A&M. I was like, what's the point? Yeah, it's probably a good idea. Regardless, also had uh, we had John Machoto on uh, earlier this week from the Athletic talk about Dak Prescott and uh, his contract and all that and all the happenings there. All fourteen athletics directors are scheduled to be in Birmingham on Monday for an in-person meeting to discuss fall sports scheduling. That's according to uh, Ross Dellinger at Sports Illustrated. Now, this is not. Oh my gosh, the Big Ten said they're only playing conference games. We got to get together and have a talk. This has actually been scheduled for a couple of weeks, which makes the uh, the timing altogether more interesting uh, that the Big Ten. Hey, it's funny, you know, we talked yesterday and you guys maybe, maybe took it a different direction than I had anticipated just because of the word blindsided was out there saying that people were blindsided by the Big Ten's announcement. As I've read more and and heard more, I don't think anybody was blindsided by the content of the announcement. Sounds like everybody's had the conversations about the possibility of doing league games only. But I think everybody was really surprised by the timing of the announcement and almost looked looked at it as Kevin Warren, the Big Ten, kind of going rogue in that especially at the Power Five level, all the conference commissioners had been working together and had even had a call that day where you had Bob Bowlesby from the the Big 12 and um, Greg Sankey and Larry Scott and Kevin Warren and the outgoing commissioner from the ACC, John Swafford. They talked earlier that day. And then you get to the afternoon and boom, this announcement drops. And the thing that is fascinating to me. Nobody seems to really be sure why the Big Ten decided yesterday was the day to get that out there. Yeah, it, we did mention yesterday that, well, we were reminded yesterday that a few weeks ago we did talk about how the SEC was considering something like this. So blindsided by the announcement, absolutely, but the, this is something that they've talked about, I'm sure. I don't understand why, why you wouldn't give your peers a heads up. Especially the SEC, I maybe understand why you wouldn't call them because there's no interconference games between the two scheduled for this year. No SEC team was supposed to play a Big Ten team this year until bowl season where the SEC would have wiped the floor with the Big Ten, but that wasn't scheduled yet. At least call Larry Scott where you have a bunch of crossover games in the Pac-12 or let somebody know who you actually are going to deal with this year, that this is coming down the pipe. I I would be pissed if I were one of those commissioners who had crossover games with the Big Ten. Why didn't you tell me? 
Maybe we could have made a joint announcement and looked like we had some leadership at the top of college football. Instead, you're hanging us out to dry now, and it's going to look like, because I saw people suggest it yesterday, that, well, now the other conferences are going to scramble. No, they're not. But now it looks like they're just following suit, and maybe that's why they did it, so they could look like leaders or whatever, that, hey, we were first, and maybe that was the, the goal. But they could have done this in a unified way if there was just a courtesy call. And it's selfish not to do that. Yeah, I saw somebody suggest, and there may be something to this, that the Big Ten could possibly have been on an island of one. That this is what they believed was the right thing to do and decided that maybe the way they could pressure everybody else into coming along with their way of thinking was just to get out there and almost force the hand of the other conferences. That's an interesting theory. It makes a lot of sense. Um, I'm not saying that it's right. No, no, no. It's, it's, I just said it's a theory. It's, yeah. It's interesting. Um, but if that were the case, wouldn't the Big Ten be setting themselves up for a lot of backlash in years to come when things get back to normal? If you, I mean, if, if you're going to be the island of one now, aren't you going to be the island of one later when, you know, we want to talk about divvying, you know, pieces of the pie down the road? I don't know if that makes a lot of sense from a, uh, from that perspective. Well, I guess, I guess I'm just searching for rationale as to why you would do that. You know, was there a leak? And a media entity decided to go with it, and once that was out there, the Big Ten was just like, "Well, heck, it's out there. We might as well." And that's very possible. I mean, we, Nicole we might as well own the story. it. She just said sources. She didn't say the Big Ten has announced. So it's possible that she mm-hmm. got the news from somebody. And which, by the way, ESPN Sports Center tweeted breaking news. Nicole Auerbach got mad about that. She dropped a. You mean the news that I broke thirty minutes ago? And then she turned around and got owned by Woody Womack, part of the Rivals Network. He's like, oh, you mean the story that I broke 24 hours ago there, big time? Ooh. <laughs> oh, did he do that? I didn't see. I don't follow him, so I didn't know. Huh, I don't either. I saw somebody link to it. Uh, I, actually, it was in the replies to her. There are a lot of people that had retweeted her going, oh, you, because everybody likes to go after ESPN for not giving proper attribution and so she kind of went after them, and a bunch of people liked it. And then people were like, oh, wait, you mean the story that the uh, Purdue Rivals site broke yesterday? Nice. But if you're – look, hold on a second now. I just finish that thought for a second. If you're a local outlet, local-ish outlet, you're not getting credit. No. Oh, no. The national outlets compete with each other, and, I mean, they're all about who did it first, who did it first. But, you know, let a local site break a national story – Nope. There's there's no as first reported by blackandgold.com, you know, 24/7 rivals site as first reported by Sports Talk Mississippi, Super Talk Mississippi. Yeah. Not happening. I just thought that was funny. Oh yeah. That that might it have been the reason you're friends though. with somebody though. If if you like yeah. Let's say I broke something, right? And then five minutes later, SI had it. I mean, I could probably text Ross Dellinger and be like, "Hey, you need to, you know, you need to do this for me." You could too. Yeah, 
Probably right. But if if uh, Dan Wolken broke, I don't think we're going to get through with him. Yeah. There were like 19 Dan Wolken jokes that popped into my mind all at the same time. I was like, nope, nope, nope. Just make one. Nah, what's just the, not going to do it. Give just going to go high road. Uh, no, no. no. I'm just going to go high road altogether. Very good. Steer clear. So, Ross Dellinger's got a story on uh, on Sports Illustrated. And he outlines a bunch of the... Uh, the questions that are going to be asked, some of the issues that are uh, are going on. We'll take a look at those when we continue. Sports Talk Mississippi, five o'clock hour, just around the corner. We'll wrap up the four o'clock hour next. With the tales from late last night, the story is very heated for everyone. Back with you on Sports Talk Mississippi. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, and Brian Haydad on this Friday afternoon. So this story from Ross Dellinger at uh, at Sports Illustrated, we mentioned, kind of started out by talking about the fact that all the ADs from the SEC will be together next week. There's no plan for them to make a statement. Like, this is not a, we're going in to put our heads together to make a statement on what everything's going to look like. This will be the first time that all 14 ADs have been in the same room together since the SEC basketball tournament, when they were all been kind of that crisis management mode um, while the basketball tournament was going on. Been a bunch of video calls, a bunch of Zoom calls since then. The aim is for the commissioner to gather candid in-person feedback from each AD about how they believe the conference should proceed with fall sports, especially football. Significant decisions are not expected. Sankey has previously mentioned 18 to 20 contingency plans in place for how to proceed with football season. As the news has gotten more dire in recent weeks, the most likely discussion points are likely to be a conference-only schedule, which is what the Big Ten announced yesterday. Or possibly postponement of the season until the spring. The least likely scenario at this moment, according to this story from Ross Dellinger, and really according to pretty much everybody who's thinking, is a full schedule that starts on time in September. Yeah. What was it? Alabama's. Seems... Go ahead. Alabama's team doctor today uh, went on Twitter about how a spring football season is not feasible and very unsafe and they shouldn't do it. It's because they've got nine guys that are going to go in the first round of the NFL draft. Well, yeah. But he, he talked about just the physical toll it would take uh, on a he's, football team to play two he, full seasons with just a couple months in between. He's sort of one of those, he, what, he right for all the wrong reasons there? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, he's right. Was it Lyle Kane that he, went on? Is that who you're talking yeah. about? Borky? It was retweeted by your guys at Three Man Front. I'll find it for you. Okay. No, I just was asking if that's the doctor you were talking about. Uh, I, I will find it for you, I promise. Okay. Do you think there's any shot NC State and Mississippi State play each other this year, Head It's very low. Very low at this point, I would think. Less than 20%. Yeah. Feels fairly unlikely with Baylor and Ole Miss also. 
certainly in Houston, with the way things are trending in the state of Texas. Um, how much of a push do you think there's going to be to preserve the out-of-conference rivalry games? The Florida-Florida State, Clemson-South Carolina, Georgia-Georgia Tech... I'm not sure who else I'm think, thinking about, but that type game. Louisville, Kentucky. Louisville, Kentucky. There's, there's going to be a good push, I would think, because and, and you can rationalize it. It makes sense. You're in state. You don't have to fly. You don't have to. You know, you you can really control it. If it's okay to bring, like I said yesterday, if it's okay for uh, Auburn to travel to Mississippi State, or I guess we'll we'll try to keep it. If it's okay for Florida to travel to Ole Miss. And travel all the way to Oxford. It's certainly got to be safe to, for them to travel to Tallahassee. You would think it was Norman there- Waldrop, uh, for what it's worth. He's an orthopedic surgeon that works for Andrew Sports Medicine team doctor for uh, okay. Al- Alabama. Here's what he said: Two seasons in seven months won't work. High risk for injuries. The NFL will roll on next fall. Players will sit out. Fall and spring sports at the same time is a logistical nightmare. And without fall revenue, it's hard to play spring sports. Period. And then injuries in all caps again. I mean, he's he's in the right, and he mentioned the NFL, so I mean, at least he's you know owning it. Sure. Well, and you know, for guys that I think the NFL doesn't really play a huge part in this discussion because I think most of the players that are drafted will not play. Now maybe you've got some borderline guys that are trying to improve their draft stock with one with one more season. But if they improve their draft stock to the point that they get drafted in the second round, are they going to finish the season if the season's not over? Yeah, maybe this maybe this thing needs to. Um, you know, if you're saying, "Well, we're going to do it in the spring." Maybe the idea of starting it in February is a really bad idea. Maybe it needs to start the the first Saturday in the month of January. You play January, February, and March for your season so that your regular season is done before the draft. Just a thought. Sports Talk Mississippi streaming at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, and Brian Haydad. College Football Fix coming your way to start the 5 o'clock hour in just a couple of minutes. Well, I'm a Welcome to the weekend, just after 5 o'clock. From the Friday afternoon, 10th of July. Thanks for being with us. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, and Brian Haydad. C Spire text line is open to you. 601-879-4395. Be honest, you know your business deserves better, so get better with a C Spire business internet and phone bundle backed by real support. The IT experts at C Spire equip your organization with reliable high-speed internet and industry-leading VoIP phone systems plus 24-7 local support so that you can focus on your goals. They've got connectivity covered See how Ceasefire can power your success today at ceasefire.com slash business. You know what time it is. It's time for the College Football Fix.
College football fix is driven by Ford and your local Mississippi Ford dealers. Log on to buyfordnow.com. Find out why the best-selling trucks are built Ford Tough 43 straight years. That's how long the F-150 has been the number one selling truck in America. You don't have to stop with the F-150. Check out the full lineup of award-winning vehicles at your local Mississippi Ford dealer. Junior college football could very well be on the move to spring. With optimism over an on-schedule return for college athletics in the fall diminishing, it appears unlikely that junior colleges throughout the country will see much athletic competition held, if any at all, before the calendar flips to 2021. The NJCAA announced yesterday that its Presidential Advisory Council has recommended that a majority of athletic competition move to the spring semester. Christopher Parker, who is NJCAA President and CEO, says, We must adjust accordingly and to support and sustain NJCAA programs. The association as a whole is collectively working to provide the best opportunities to be successful on and off the field for student-athletes. Officially, they will release a plan on Monday, July 13th. Statement came on the same day, obviously, that the Big Ten announced that they would be playing conference-only games. Juco football is a big deal. It is a huge deal in the state of Mississippi. There's nobody in America that does it better than the MACJC. And it's not isolated to one program. It is across the board, across the state, north to south and east to west. Nobody gives you more junior college football coverage in the state of Mississippi outside of JucoWeekly.org, who we partner with, than we do right here on Sports Talk Mississippi. It's a big blow for junior college football if indeed this happens And I wonder what it looks like, guys, because so many times you have junior college players who transfer out at the end of the fall semester, and they move on to other opportunities. And we know that these rosters flip every two years completely, and half of your roster flips every year. I'm not sure logistically how you pull this off with the number of guys that theoretically could be leaving at the halfway point of the school year. Yeah. This, this is not seven, eight, ten guys that might be going to the NFL draft. This could be a on significant an eight, portion on an of your roster. Man roster too. Yeah, on an 85-man roster, you might lose seven, eight guys. You know, Juco roster's significantly smaller. I mean, they, they legitimately could be playing with, you know, 30, 40 man rosters, be like 1A football out there. So, can yeah, this is, go ahead. Can the MACJC do something opposite of the NACJA or NCJAA? Forget the acronym, so, acronyms. Can Mississippi Junior Colleges. You want to try one more time? <laughs> no, I'm done. I, I'm giving up. NJCAA. Can the MACJC do something different than what's going to be announced on Monday? 
That's interesting because you think about the we've been talking about the NCAA and how they have no real power over college football. Is it the same in junior college? I don't know the answer to that. As I under, I may be just speaking out of my rear here, but as I understand it, the NJCAA is the overarching body. And Mac Jack or MACJC, if you prefer, plays under that umbrella. So it's it's sort of like you know the NCAA doesn't have any control over the FBS FCS right. I'm sorry FBS, but they do have control over FCS and Division Two because they run their playoffs. Sort of the same thing right. here, right? They they run sure. the playoffs, so yeah. So they well, would have some. Uh, I'm sorry, I'm boring well, but you, no. Richard. Jeez. No, 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 no. Forgive the yawn. I mean, that's not entirely true because there's not a playoff structure. I mean, you've got state playoffs, and then you've got national championship game. And it's kind of a weird national championship structure. I mean, it's based on the, the rankings. Um, you know, in some that it's actually a really fascinating question that I don't know the answer to. Because in a lot of ways, junior college athletics is run more like high school athletics in terms of the way it's structured at the state level than the NCAA slash college football playoff, Power 5, Group of 5, etc. Because you've got your state associations. I mean, like, there's not a national high school federation that dictates policy for all 50 states. Right. The MHSAA dictates policy for Mississippi. The TSSAA dictates policy for um, the state of Tennessee. Yeah, AHSA in Arkansas. The Alabama... Yeah, you get the idea. Yeah. And those state organizations have got a lot of power. So, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that question as to whether or not the MACJC could kind of go out on its own and say, yeah, we're still going to try to play. I don't know if it would be the right decision either. I mean, if we look around and college football is either delayed or pushed to the spring, and high school football is either delayed or pushed to the spring... Would it make sense for junior colleges to be out there as the Lone Ranger? Doesn't doesn't seem to make a lot of sense to me. I don't know. I mean, that's a lot. That, there are a lot of big questions that uh, that that we don't have the information to answer on this one. Here's some info on the effect on smaller schools and smaller conferences from the Big Ten's announcement yesterday and what is expected to be subsequent announcements from other Power Five conferences. So, Group of Five, Ball State will no longer get $975,000 from a game against Michigan that was scheduled. Buffalo won't get 1.7 million at Ohio State. Kent State not going to uh, Kent State not going to get million and a half from going to Penn State. 
The Mac could lose more than $10 million for missing the 11 scheduled games against the Big Ten. We talked about this a little bit yesterday yeah, across add, the country. Say what? To add context to this, um, the SEC was supposed to play six ACC teams this year, four Big 12, two Pac-12, zero Big Ten. Okay. 13 FCS schools with by games, maybe not $1.7 million, but a few hundred thousand dollars. Seven Sunbelt. Six Conference USA, four Mountain West, four MAC, four Independents, one AAC. And I don't know if you uh, you saw this today, but the NCAA, I think it was the NCAA rule that they're going to allow you to count two FCS teams in your uh, towards eligibility for a bowl this year, which might be trying to signal that if you want to schedule some non-conference games, you know your, the FCS teams are, are you can. So it comes back to what I talked about yesterday, talking about maybe scheduling USM. Maybe now State and Ole Miss want to look at, you know, Jackson State, Alcorn, Mississippi Valley just to try to have another home game if possible. The ripple effect from this is pretty dire. Nearly 40 Power 5 programs have scheduled a total of 49 buy games worth about $65 million. With average payouts between eight hundred thousand and one point eight million, single buy game can be responsible for five percent of a G5's bu- uh, budget for the year. One game. Whew. North Salt, Mississippi. We'll be right back. Hey, so the whole uh, Friday movie night thing that we've played around with, we've kind of gotten to the whole. What are we going to watch? Not like we've run out of movies. I mean, there are plenty of options. Hey, Dad, can you sign off on a uh, Christmas in July thing? Absolutely. Is it Die Hard? <laughs> Actually, no. Uh, well, is it the second best Christmas movie ever made, though? Which is? Christmas Vacation? Nah, it's going to be Elf. All right, Elf. I mean, you got to remember the audience. It's a bunch of kids, man. That's true. It is kids. Yeah, that's, that's true. That's true. I love Elf. You a big fan or no? Elf? I like Elf. It's good. Like double on the floor laughing good or like, meh? The first time I saw it, it was really, really funny. It, it, it hasn't held up as well for me as like Christmas Vacation or a Christmas Story has. Well, yeah, but I mean, you're talking about the greatest of all time in Christmas Vacation. Well, that's my point. Yeah, if, if, I, if you say, let's watch a Christmas movie, Elf is not going to be my first choice. But if you say we're watching Elf, I'm not going to complain. Were you a big if Elf I'm, fan? Love Elf. It's probably my favorite Christmas movie. Is it? I think so. More so than Christmas Vacation? Yeah, I think so. Don't get me wrong. Love Christmas Vacation. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I, okay. Up, 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 up. Truth comes out. Truth-telling time. Hey, Dad, I believe earlier this week there was a Christmas Vacation reference that was made during the course of the show, and Borky kind of missed it, and then he was like, oh, you're just a bunch of old guys referencing old movies. Oh, but now, well, yeah. now. When, 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 now. I came at, when I came at him with, I don't know, Margo, he was like, what's that, from some old movie? It was Christmas Vacation. Now you're telling me you watch it all the time. I didn't but say I watch it. it all the time. I do enjoy it. I was just 
wanting to point out again that you're old. Like you really need a reason for that. No, I don't, but it would get old after a while if I just told you how old you were. It would get as old as you are. I think I'm aging quite well, Borky. And got some little silver flecks popping up just above my sideburns. You'd be calling me Silver Fox before you know it. Is that supposed to happen at 40? I thought it was later than that. Yeah, well, it seems to be He's happening three at kids. 39. <laughs> three kids. A buddy in high school had jet black hair, but he was starting to gray in high school. We called him Grandpa Joe. Yeah. yeah. Um, it is all gray now. He's 28 years old. Ooh. <laughs> he started to dye it after a while, but, I mean, like, his roots would be silver because he's got gray hair for some reason. You might as well just own it. He just gave it up. He shaves it a lot, though, like completely off. Yeah, I guess so. I don't think I'll be coloring my hair. Yeah, like I was making a joke about it the other day. I was like, I got a few little gray specks over here above, kind of on my temples or whatever. Jay's like, you got a few in your beard, too, when you don't shave. (laughs) Thanks. Thanks, Thanks, man. Appreciate that. I'll be Santa Claus in a few years. Yeah. You got white popping in yours? Oh, big time, yeah. There you go. Hair too? Are you are you gonna oh, be yeah. a dye your hair guy? No, 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 no. You sure? Yes. I see you getting like the just for men, just five minutes stuff going full on jet black. No, I'm good. I'm good. That's not the look for me. So there was a story yesterday that had a lot of words in it. But I think I made it all the way through, or at least I made it through most of the way. You know, the whole Zion Williamson court case, prime sports marketing, the ladies suing him for $100 million, all of that. Um, well, they popped, they got a signed affidavit saying that Zion Williamson's stepfather, I think it was? Yeah. Father or stepfather, I don't remember. It is stepfather. Are saying they got a signed affidavit that he received four hundred thousand dollars, four hundred large, from a marketing company before going to Duke. And the reason that Prime Sports says that this is important is because that would have made Zion Williamson ineligible. And if he was ineligible, then he can't claim that. Um. Who's ineligible? He can't claim that it was wrong for him to sign a marketing deal. That it was a nefarious action by the agent. Okay, you have my attention. And then you keep reading, and you find out that the uh, the scoundrel on the side that paid four hundred thousand dollars allegedly to Zion Williamson or his representatives, his stepfather. This signed affidavit has got a South Carolina driver's license from Zion that is clearly a fake ID. And if you look closely, the sign or the signature from Zion that they've got in it is manipulated. It's more pixelated than the rest of the document, that there's a gap in the signature. Like, they have taken his signature and lifted it and placed it in another. And if you continue to read, this is not the first time that this particular company has attempted to forge documents 
to its own benefit. You hear about unscrupulous agents and unscrupulous marketing people out there, but you almost, you're like, yeah, but not really, though, right? I mean, I get that there are people that are out there kind of trying to take advantage of people. I mean, they they wouldn't still be sending the prince in Nairobi, you know, here's $3 million emails if they didn't work on somebody. But the idea that there's somebody that's actually legitimately trying to force this through with that type of forgery? Is it hard for you to wrap your mind around that being a real thing? I mean, how stupid this is. Everything about the license is fake, Richard. If you look at the word driver's license, the E at the end of license is a different uh, bold than the rest of the words. Um, On South Carolina driver's license, because I used to own one, the issue date and the expiration date are the same with the exception of the year. It expires on your birthday six or eight years later, later, whatever it is. Those two dates don't match up. His weight is six foot six, and his height is 284 pounds. Also, Nikki Haley was not the governor when the license was issued and her signature's on the license. Everything about it's wrong. <laughs> Whoops! Gold Wait, star. The, the, the United but States ambassador to the United Nations doesn't sign South Carolina driver's <laughs> license? Who knew? Although she's not in that position anymore. No, but I mean, like, it's so wrong that it's not even the same gender of person that was the governor at the time this was issued. Like, everything about this license is dead freaking wrong. It's so funny. How you think you could pass this off in a court proceeding is (laughs) mind-blowing. Weight, 6 feet 6 inches. Height, 284. Oops! (laughs) I mean, have we have we measured? Why is, how how many inches? Two hundred eighty four inches. How tall is that? Maybe it's you know, I don't know. I don't know either. That's bad. That we should probably be able to do that off the top of our head. It feels like it's twenty two feet. Feels like it's like twenty two feet, doesn't it? Yeah. He's twenty four right. feet tall. <laughs> it says somebody forgot to bold the last e in the word license and it's off center and oh by the way the zip code looks like a bad print job God. this guy responds as a pro designer i see at least seven different elements that are clearly photoshopped on this driver's license i had a better fake idea in college man i mean this is awful Congratulations on being, on weighing six feet, six inches. <laughs> Congrats, man. That's how I'm going to tell everybody from now on. Ah, I, I, I weigh like, you know, seven feet, nine inches. I'm very, very lengthy in my weight. I did have a very interesting interaction with uh, a gas station attendant the day after I turned 21, though. Oh, Yeah. I was from Florida until I turned 21. <laughs> and I had been going to the same gas station for a while and didn't think about it. And handed him my correct license and he stared at me for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> handed yeah. it back, didn't say a word, and 
There was no issue, but he held it and looked at me like, wait, you SOB, I know who you are. <laughs> you could have just said, I just changed residency. <laughs> yeah, but just my age. to go inside with my birthday. He was 24 the day before the 21st <laughs> birthday on that day. Mm-hmm. Sports Talk Mississippi, we'll be right back. I gotta read this. NCAA releases a statement. <laughs> As the COVID 19 pandemic continues to impact college sports nationally, the NCAA supports its members as they make important decisions based on their specific circumstances and in the best interest of college athletes' health and well being. Thanks. Some $150,000 a year PR expert that works for the NCAA got paid to write that statement. Imagine that. It's the best job in the world. Come up with a few sentences that don't say anything at all. Yeah. I mean, good for them. I had a professor in college that took a public relations class straight up say, learn how to say nothing. Well, that's what it is. Absolutely what it is. Either that or they were telling me to shut up one way or the other. And maybe that, maybe that was, hey, Borky, <laughs> could you please learn to say nothing? Wait, is that like career advice? Yeah, it can maybe, be. But, but it's, like, it's more like right now advice. <laughs> I wasn't a talker in class. I was more pull-up, um, like, autocorrect fails because that was a thing back then and sit in the back. Pull up what? It used to be a website called uh, Damn You Autocorrect, and it would be just screenshots of people that got uh, that autocorrect on their phone because it used to be a lot different than it is now. Now it's all predictive text and stuff. Back then it would just correct a mistake to something random, mm-hmm. and it, it would just be screenshots of people that had autocorrect uh, really change a message, and they used to just kill me. Did you do that on your phone or... Yeah, so it was a website. Laptop. It's probably still operational. Yeah, maybe so. But it's just changed so much, they probably don't get any good ones anymore. All right, give me the details on the cooking plans for the weekend. Going to do a drunk chicken, I think. Uh, just something simple. Uh, smoke drunk chicken. I haven't decided what I'm going to brine it in just yet. I need to find a, a better brine recipe. My last one, I don't know what went wrong with it. It just it left a really bad flavor. And it was one of those bottled brines, which is probably my problem. Um, not using that again. But that's about it, I think. Okay. Hey, Dad. Give me the deets. Uh, I'm using a Malcolm Reed recipe, the Texas-style uh, pulled pork, just salt and pepper. And I'm going to smoke that till it's done. Going to make some, uh, some mac and cheese, a little corn on the cob. Got a bottle of uh, of Malcolm's uh, vinegar sauce. If you want to, if we want to do a little sauce on there, I think that's a good, what works with us with uh, with pulled pork. And uh, yeah, make some sandwiches. Mm. Are you are you going to go sandwiches? Not just like pile of meat on your plate. Uh, I mean, I bought the buns. I might I might do the just the meat. I don't know, but mm. we'll see. Corn on the cob, boiling it or doing it on the grill? I'll probably just boil it. I, I don't. I'm not big on grilled corn. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Homemade mac and cheese? Oh, yeah. Sounds good. Oh, it, it will be. That sounds really good. 
So just oh, here salt we go. and pepper. Here we go. And hold, on, hold on, we got, we got breaking news. Real breaking news here. Nicole Auerbach, again, per sources, the Pac-12 is expected to announce conference only uh, today. So I guess that'll be soon. Is that like a Friday news dump? They've, they've news dumped us, 541 Central. Uh, so we gave you the statement from the ACC yesterday. Here's a statement from the ACC. Their commissioner, John Swafford. Health and safety of our student-athletes, coaches, and administrators remains the uh, ACC's top priority. We continue to work on the best possible path forward for the return of competition. We will do so in a way that appropriately coincides with our university's academic missions. Over the last few months, our conference has prepared numerous scenarios related to the fall athletic season. League membership and our medical advisory board will make every effort to be as prepared as possible during these unprecedented times, and we anticipate a decision by our board of directors in late July. At least that statement told you something. Though in fairness, it could have been one sentence instead of seven. We anticipate a decision by our board of directors in late July. As it pertains to fall scheduling. But I mean, you got to put all the caveats in there as well. Health and safety, concern, blah, 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 academic mission, got all the buzzwords in there. And oh, by the way, they're going to make a decision in July. So, uh, so the ACC told us yesterday or the day before that no fall sports are happening before September 1st which doesn't affect football because their first football game is on September 3rd, I believe it is, that Wednesday night Louisville game. But it could affect the start of soccer and, I believe, field hockey. I think those are the other two early start sports in the ACC. Did we not hear yesterday, though, that the Pac-12 was going to do this? Or were you, Nicole's we just saying the, an announcement. That, that was the... It, the Pac-12 will announce soon, and I guess her reporting is it's going to happen today, uh, formally. My question is, and I've been thinking about this a lot today, is isn't a move inevitable? I mean, I was talking to somebody that would know, and they think that the SEC on Monday is going to discuss an October start of some kind. Have you heard anything like that? I feel like that's inevitable anyway, but anything concrete like an actual month of start? For everybody? For the SEC. So when they when they meet on Monday, that's going to be something they discuss as an October start. I'm not being flippant when I say this, but I think they're going to quite literally discuss like a hundred different things. Yeah. It just feels like I an on time start is not going to happen. It's, yeah, no, 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 no. No. I don't I don't think anybody believes that at this point. Now, the question is, is it September 19th? Is it September 26th? Is it October 3rd? Is it October 10th or 17th? I mean, how how far yeah. back do you need to push it? Do you feel like giving yourself two weeks is enough to get going? Because it's not, it's not really about when you play the first game. It's about when you're able to start practice. I mean, it's kind of about when you play the first game. But it's, in a lot of places, I mean, North Carolina shut down all activities for at least a week this week. 
So did Ohio State. All the voluntary workouts. But then on the flip side of things, you remember how crazy it was at Clemson early on. Borky, you told me that you know out of the last 300 or so tests, they've had two positives. Yeah, so they they shut everything down, and yet the amount of po- I think it was six total in the athletic department. That includes athletes of all sports and personnel that works with the athletes since June 26th, and they've tested a few hundred times in six positives, and they shut everything down. Yeah. That'll as we uh, get closer to the season, whenever they decide it'll start, that phenomenon will stop. It'll be the players are isolated, we're continuing to practice. That'll that'll change. Yeah. I don't feel like anybody in the SEC's done that, have they? No. Um even LSU pro- didn't stop. I mean they, they no. quarantined a bunch of kids that went to a party where there were positive people, but they didn't stop. Yeah, they they did for those thirty or so that they were worried about, but they just kept on rolling with everybody else. But that was part of the deal. I mean, that was part of the planning was we know that there are going to be positive tests, and this is the protocol that's in place. Get ready for it. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. And it has happened, as expected. So... Um, ceasefire text lines open 601-879-4395 601-879-4395 Quinn tells Borky you should do the uh, Dixie beer with your drunk chicken while you still can yeah Gail's changing the name uh, hey dad King Biscuit suggested if you've never done it, you should use Malcolm's recipe and make smoked mac and cheese. I don't have enough room for that. Put it next to your smoked lasagna. Mm. Dude, Gouda smoked mac and cheese is the bomb. I'm sure it's great. So I don't have good. enough room to do that. I, I, don't, I don't know if uh, he has this Gouda or not, but. I'm so sure what, you're, you're doing. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. Thanks, Dad Jokes. I am a dad. Take your time out. We'll re- Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.